Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. This is lesson two on supernatural power. Last week we began this study on supernatural power. Just a quick review, 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5. Notice what the Apostle Paul said at Corinth to the people that were there. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of the living God. Notice, a demonstration. He preached the gospel, and there was a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? Corinth was a, really a city that was licentious, a city that was overwhelmed with all kinds of evil, immorality, and so on. Demonic activity and demon influences. And he knew he had to go in there and proclaim the gospel and also demonstrate the power of God being greater than the power of the enemy. No different than the world we're living in right now. Look all around you, you can see it happening. All kinds of evil taking place in people's lives. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is one of power. It's not just one of words of men's wisdom, but the power of God to change a human life, to set a captive person free, to deliver those that are bound by any of the vices the enemy throws their way. Power to change a human heart and a human life. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, what the apostle Paul said. Furthermore, Uh, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and the door was opened to me, uh, for me, the Lord, that's not the right verse. It should be 12.12. Can you find that, Paul? 12.12. It says that he came with signs and wonders. Notice this. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Why is he saying this to these people that are there? Well, let me ask you a question. He wanted to authenticate what he did. And in doing so, what better way than to write it in a letter to the people that you ministered to? Well, for example, let's just say that um, we got together for lunch somewhere. And we started to talk about the distinct differences between the Steelers and the Browns. And you know, all of a sudden, a fight breaks out. Not a physical one, but a verbal one. And someone starts throwing things and doing all kind of craziness and all that. Let's just say I was the one that did it all. And I got so frustrated, I got so upset that I just got up and walked out the door and left. Said, I don't want to ever talk to you again about anything. I, I noticed I did sports instead of politics. I was safer much safer. You following me so far? Then I send you a letter two days later and in the mail, and you get the letter in the mail, and it says, what a wonderful time we had together. I really enjoyed talking about the Browns and the Steelers. We had a great time. What a positive light we were. To everybody that was around us at that place, they saw nothing but great and wonderful things. person's going to think I'm out of my mind. I'm mad or something, because he saw what I did. What's Paul saying to these people? You saw the signs. You saw the wonders. I'm writing this letter to to you to let you know. Now, all they had to do to refute that is what? 
We were there with you. What are you talking about, Paul? You didn't do any of this stuff. Oh, yes, he did. He authenticated that his ministry was one of power because he demonstrated the power of the living God right there among the people. And then he wrote a letter about it and reminded them of what things took place to show that God is greater than all the demonic powers of darkness that are out there in this world. And what's he telling us? Just as he demonstrated the power of God, so can we. But before that, look at what Jesus did in Acts 10, 38. Jesus did the same thing. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about what? Doing good. In other words, something was displayed, something was done, and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Was God with Paul? Was God with Jesus? Did Jesus do one miracle before he was anointed with Holy Ghost power? Absolutely not. Not one miracle until the power of God anointed him to do the works that he did. Now look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you shall receive what? Power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Power to witness. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. So notice we too can receive power from on high. As a matter of fact, we are instructed to receive power from on high so that we can be the witnesses, so that we can do or display and demonstrate the miracle working power of God. Beloved, our battles not with flesh and blood, but with principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. It's not people. It's demonic influences and powers that are trying to control the lives of people. And we can tap into the power of God so that we can display that power and use that power to do what? Destroy the works of the enemy. It's not people. It's the force behind the people. And that's the works of darkness. Whether it's a wayward child walking away from the things of God, yielding to the things of this world. We have authority. We've got the power of attorney. We have the right to use the name of Jesus to command that these forces desist in their maneuvers. Whether it's a human heart, a human life, a child, whether it's a, a family member, a, a, a friend, a, a, so, a, a worker it's, uh, on the job, someone that you work with, a co-worker, uh, a marital relationship, whatever it might be, praise God. A work of darkness can be stopped by the power of the light of God that's on the inside of each and every one of us. Look at Mark 16. And look at verses 19 and 20. You know the previous verses. Go in all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them to believe. Right? All the signs. But notice this. After then, then after the Lord spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And they did what? Went forth every, and preached everywhere. And the Lord, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Notice they preached and the Lord worked with them, not apart from them, but with them, and with the word, with signs following, amen. So we see here that in order for us to do the works of the Lord, we're going to have to do them the same way he did them. So look at John chapter 5 and verse 19. The Lord worked with them, and Jesus is going to give us an idea as to how he can work with us as well. And we can work with him. In other words, we work together to accomplish his purposes in the earth. This is from the CEV, Contemporary English Version of the Bible. Jesus told the people, I tell you for certain, the son cannot do anything of his own. What a statement. He's talking about himself, the son of God, cannot do anything of his own. He can do only what he sees the father doing. And he does exactly what he sees the father do. So, 
the things that he did, he did out of a close walk with his heavenly father. Now look at John's gospel in chapter um, 14, verses 8 through 12. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long time with you, and have you not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the father. And how sayest thou then, show us the father? Believest thou not that I am in the father, and the father in me? The words I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. Did Jesus take credit for any of the works that he did? Absolutely not. What did he say? It's my Father in me that does the work. He took no credit whatsoever. Well, if that's how he did the works, by yielding himself to the Father, how are we going to do the works that he did? We're going to have to do them the same way he did them, right? And if he did them by developing a close, intimate relationship and fellowship and walk with his father and doing the things that he was told to do, saying the things he was told to say, that's the same way that you and I can duplicate or do the same works that he told us to do here upon the earth. In other words, it's directly connected to a close walk with our heavenly father so that we hear his voice and do what he says to do. Now, something important here. It's true that even though something may be the will of God, there may be reasons why that will of God won't be accomplished in the earth. Means something can be God's will, but yet it not be done? Absolutely. There's no question about it. It's not proper to think that you and I can manipulate God by using a formula. Now we believe in the principles of God's word. But to think that we can use a formula and exalt it above what God is saying to do is wrong. And here's what I mean by it. If God, but for, let's for example use Jesus. Jesus we know did many mighty works all around Nazareth. Did he not? But when he got to his own hometown of Nazareth, he could there do no mighty works. It says, except lay his hand on a few sickly folks that were with minor ailments and heal them. And he marveled at their unbelief. So he went about teaching in their villages to correct their unbelief. But the point I'm making is, God's will was to do the same works in Nazareth as he did all around Nazareth. But he could there, he, was, he could not do any of those works because of certain limitations Placed on him how? By unbelief. The unbelief of the people. So even though God wanted to be done, there were certain things in place that prevented those things to be done. And unbelief can do that. Now, I'll give you some other testimonies. And remember, we can't manipulate God by using a formula. God's power by using a formula. Testimony of two, two babies, really. The one died and the one lived. The one who died first. Well, and I was, uh, even before going off to Bible school, I had not yet gone off to Bible school at Tulsa. And I was called upon by a friend that says, please get to the hospital and pray for my baby. There was an accident and he's on life support. 
please. So I rush to the hospital. I get to the hospital, and the family's in, a, in, in the one room. The baby's in intensive care, all life support. And, I mean, they're distraught, which you can understand. They're distraught. And so I said, you know what? I just need to get away to a private place and pray. And so I found the chapel. And I walked into the chapel, and I got on my knees, and I began to pray in the Holy Ghost. You know, sometimes we know not what to pray for as we ought. But thank God for the Holy Ghost. So I am on my knees praying in the Holy Ghost as much as I can, as fast as I can, to see if we could turn the situation around. I'm not even a minute or two in my prayer. And all of a sudden, the authoritative voice of the Spirit rises up in me and says, there's no need to pray. The child is with me, and he's not coming back. He is being loved now like he's never been loved before. Whoa. Now, is it the will of God that we live and not die and declare the works of the Lord? Sure it is. Didn't he say, I came to give you life and that more abundantly? Sure he did. Didn't he say, with long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation? Sure he did. So if you can imagine me being in that situation, I'm going to go back to that room where all these people are, the mother, the father, the grandmother, the grandfather on both sides. Now, do I tell them this? Absolutely not. There was no way I was going to walk in there and say, oh, by the way, I just heard the Lord just say that he's not coming back. So uh, I held that within myself and I just comforted them. But there's a lot of detail that's connected to this situation. It's believed that the child was severely abused, which is why I'm sure the Lord said he's being loved like he's never been loved before. That was witnessed. This could not be confirmed. It was supposedly a car accident that happened. But again, knowing the details and all that firsthand, you know, that really wasn't the case. Now, the point is, what good would it do me to go back to that chapel and just say, that child will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord? I can't manipulate the power of God to change the situation. If he said that child's not coming back, then that child's not coming back. Do you see that point? Absolutely. Now that was one incident. So my point is we just can't use formulas. <laughs> we need to walk close to God and get his mind, get his heart, get his revelation, get his knowledge to know what he's wanting us to do in certain situations. Can you see that? This other situation, I'm at the church in um, downtown Midland. And as my custom was always, I'm on my knees praying in the Holy Ghost before the service begins. And I get a phone call from a family. And they request prayer because their child's in the hospital and it's not looking good. I said, okay, I'm in prayer right now. I'll continue praying right now. So I'm, I'm back on my knees. I'm praying in the Holy Ghost again. And all of a sudden, that voice once again rises up in me and says, call them and tell them the child will begin to amend from this moment. You know, when you hear something like that, it kind of puts you in a precarious situation, if you know what I mean. Was that you, Lord? Or was that just what I wanted? You know, but I, I believed it was God. And so I called him back on the phone and I just said, the Lord just told me to call you back and let you know right now that, that chi your, your child 
will begin to amend from this moment. They were having no success at the hospital whatsoever and they were concerned about losing this child's life. All of a sudden, the next day, I get a phone call. They can't explain it, but this child all of a sudden is responding to everything and this child is doing great. And it began last evening when that was spoken. This is cooperating with God. But now listen, another day or two later, I get another phone call. They don't know what's going on. All of a sudden, now the child is going in the opposite direction. Okay, I'm, I'm in prayer. And I'm praying about the situation again. And once again, the Lord once again, just arrests my attention. I'm not using any words to manipulate God, but he speaks to my heart and he says this. The problem is man. What they're doing to this child is doing what's happening in this child's life. Tell them to go to another place, another hospital. Oh, yeah. The preacher said, take your child out of the hospital and go somewhere else. Right, and all the doctors are saying, <laughs> this guy's a lunatic or something. Well, anyhow, they, they, that, that confirmed something that they already had, so they took the child to another hospital, and guess what? The child, once again, made a marvelous and miraculous recovery, but the doctors there said, had they continued doing what they were doing to this child, the child would have died at that hospital. Imagine that. It was something. Now it wasn't intentional you understand. We're not saying that it was intentional by this other place. But they were doing the wrong thing. And what they were doing turned the whole situation around. So that's why it's so important that we cooperate with God. We listen to what he's saying for us to do. Because that's how we tap into and release his power. That we know we have on the inside of us. But it's not just based on us manipulating God with some formulas or anything. So it's important for us to know that he wants us to do exactly what Jesus did, to live a life of intimacy with him, to kind of get his heart, get his mind, get his direction so that we know exactly what we need to do. So what I put together is just a few of these statements, actually one word statement that will help us better understand how we can do that, how we can develop a closer walk with the Lord so that we could have his mind, have his heart, and be in position to release the power of God into a situation. Because we don't want to just be, you know, spinning our wheels getting nothing accomplished, right? We want success in helping people, success even for ourselves. But notice number one, some keys to developing a closer walk with God so that we can be in a position to release his power into a given situation. And the first one is surrender. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16 verse 24? Then said Jesus to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, number one, take up his cross, number two, and follow me. Three things he says here. This is called surrender. Actually those three things we could put in there, surrender, submit, and shadow. Surrender, submit, and shadow. We surrender all to him. Surrender means to give yourself over to him completely. You deny yourself the right of living independent of God. I am not going to live my life independent of you, Lord, at all. I'm not going to allow myself to be governed by my flesh, my fleshly desires, or laws or rules that basically go against what you teach, what your word says. I'm surrendering my heart and my life and my will and my mind to you. I'm surrendering my all to you. I'm denying myself. 
to live the way I want to live. And I guarantee you, that's a big choice and decision that a person has to make because our flesh wants to rule our lives. Our flesh wants to take over and dictate how we live and what we do, whether it's our personal life, in our marriage, with our children, with our family. The flesh wants to have its own way. Doesn't your flesh want to have its own way? Sure it does. So surrender, number one. But number two, submission to the will of God. This means submit to do the will of God. Whatever it is that God has willed for us to do in our lives. And you know what? That decision we make to submit to his will means that we're going to endure hardness along the way. We will endure hardness along the way. As a good soldier, Paul told Timothy, endure hardness. What does that mean? When you and I submit to do the will of God, there's going to be challenges along the way. There's going to be persecution along the way, tribulation along the way. There's going to be evil coming against us to destroy us because the enemy does not want us submitting to the will of God and doing the will of God. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? How he was praying at the rock in the garden? And he submitted himself to the Father as if it were drops of blood. He was sweating when he was doing this. This is where I believe he really won the battle of the cross was there in that garden. And what did he end up saying? Not my will be done, but thine will be done. So this is what he's saying. You surrender your heart. You surrender your life to him and say, I want, I want you and you alone. And then you s- submit your will to do his will. And even though we know submitting to do his will is not always going to be an easy decision because along the way we're going to face a lot of adversity. When I left here to go to Oklahoma to follow the will of God for my life and submit myself to his will, it was not a cakewalk. It was the biggest challenges that I faced in life until Andrew was born. And then that was another story. But along the way, there was all kinds of opposition coming against us from every direction. So when you submit to the will of God, doesn't mean obviously everything's just going to be living life on flower beds of ease. What it means is we're going to face challenges along the way. We have to learn to endure the hardness as a good soldier. As he told Timothy, Timothy, you're going to be challenged along the way. They're going to despise your youth. They're going to say that, who are you to talk to me about these things when you're so young? He said, but you know what? Don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. You just keep on knowing and doing what you know to do. And then thirdly, you deny yourself, take your cross and follow him. This is called shadowing. Shadowing. Follow me. You follow someone around, you shadow them. Follow me. And that means allow me to make you what I want you to be by thinking the way I think, by living the way I live, by acting the way I acted when I was here upon the earth. Follow me. Follow my example. Follow my teaching. Follow my way of thinking. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus who thought it was not robber to be called himself equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. In other words, he humbled himself before God and said, go ahead, use me. A body that you prepared for me is for you use that you could live your life in me and through me that you can use me to do what you want to do. So we see here, number one, surrender. We surrender ourselves to him. And the more we give of ourselves to him, more of him we get. Praise God. Aren't you glad for that? The more we give, the more we get. Number two, humility. Remember James in chapter four and verse six, humility, let's read it. But he gives more grace. Anybody want more grace? Grace is God's operational power. He gives more grace. Wherefore, he, he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Can you honestly say while you're sitting out there, and can I honestly say while I'm standing right here, I'm operating in the highest level of grace, God's operational power that I possibly can? Would anybody here say that? Anybody realize there's more power to operate in? Remember Paul said himself, I want to know the power of his resurrection so I can operate in that power 
But he said, but I've not achieved that yet. We all should have that same desire to operate in this higher level of power. What does it mean? I humble myself before him on a daily basis and I just say, oh Lord, you know, I can't do this thing on my own. I need a greater manifestation of your miracle working power in my life to equip me, to enable me, to empower me to do your will here upon this earth for myself individually and also through me to minister life to those I come into contact with every single day of my life. I am a candidate for your power. In other words, I'm exposing myself to you. I'm just laying it all out before you. I'm humbling myself before you because I need more grace. Anybody here need more grace? Grace and peace are multiplied through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Okay, number three, worship. Look at Psalm 22 and verse 3. We skip Luke. You can look it over for yourself. It's the man that just came and humbled himself before the Lord. And the Lord had the power of his healing manifest in his life. You see, we can tap into the power of God through humility. But number three, notice this one, worship. That's why on Wednesday evenings when we come here, this is such a wonderful, intimate time of worship. And I just encourage every one of us, don't just sing the songs. Come and worship your Lord. Oh, because why? He inhabits the praises of his people. You know what? The more we worship him, the more of his presence we carry. The more of his presence we carry. The more of his presence we carry, the more of his power we carry we carry. Think about that. Because you see his power flows from his presence. And when you and I worship him in spirit and in truth, there is a divine presence of God in our lives. Praise God that we carry that will manifest itself in power. And you know what? That's exactly what Paul said that he did. He displayed the power of God. Just as a quick example. When I was at work, working in the mill, this is before, you know, I went off to school. I was still working at the mill, running the crane. And uh, no, it was before running the crane. I was actually a plug setter. I was working on the ground at that time. And Brother Jose, which you hear me talk about a lot, came over to me because this one brother was leaving to go home. He was sick. And he says he, he already got his, his pass to leave and go home. And we saw him along the way. And Brother Jose and I just stopped him and just said, you're going home. He said, yes, I'm sick. His stomach was just in such intense pain. He said, um, well, can we pray for you before you go? He said, oh, absolutely. Please pray for me. So brother Jose and I both laid hands on his stomach, cursed the thing and commanded him to be healed and whole. His body to line up with the word of God. And we got done, said amen. It was one of those instant situations. He was completely instantly healed and made whole. There was no more pain whatsoever. The power of God just kind of flowed right into his body and just delivered him. He said, I'm healed. I'm whole. It's gone, but I'm still going home. <laughs> he had his pass. I'm still going home. So he went home. Where the presence of God is, there's the power of God for us to minister to life to people. And once again, we have to see ourselves that way. This isn't just for the apostles. This is for anyone who believes. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Take authority over the spiritual force that's behind a situation and release the power of God into that situation. Okay, look at the next one. Here in uh, number four, hunger, Mark 10. There has to be hunger. If we want to experience a greater manifestation of the miracle working power of God by developing intimacy with our Father, there has to be hunger. 
I believe that God has built in within our own physical bodies hunger symptoms for a reason. If we didn't get hungry, would we forget to feed ourselves? There wouldn't be a need to feed ourselves. We wouldn't feel the need to feed ourselves. If we didn't have an appetite, you notice sometimes when people are not feeling well, they lose their appetite. Well, come on, have this, whatever it is, their favorite food. Huh? No, I don't really want it. Why not? There's no hunger there. They don't feel that hunger. God wants us to be hungry. We need to hunger for this power. Hunger for intimacy with him and hunger and thirst to walk in this power. This is a man by the name of Bart Demaeus. I call him Bart for short. And they came to Jericho and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. You know what? A lot of people will try to silence us and say, you've got enough. You don't need any more. Just be satisfied with what you have and with where you're at. He said, ah, that doesn't sit right with me. Mm-mm. He cried all the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Hmm. Well, here's his answer. The blind man said to him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. We could say something like, Lord, I'm not operating in enough power. I want to know how I can operate in more of your power. I want to know how I could be more successful in stopping the work of the enemy in, in life situations. And Jesus said to him, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight. In other words, there was an unleashing of the miracle working power of God that caused this man to be healed. And he followed or shadowed Jesus in the way. Hmm. Isn't that something? A man who couldn't see physically had more insight spiritually than those that were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the day. So what is this telling us? There has to be a hunger for it. And there'll be everything trying to silence us, but nothing more than your own feelings and emotions on your own physical body, your own flesh. How many of you had good intentions? You're going to read your Bible before you go to bed and before you knew it, you were asleep before you got the halfway down through a paragraph. I see a lot of heads bobbing up and down out there. And you slap yourself, wake up, hunger for it, thirst for it. You got a desire, you're going to have it. What did, what did uh, David say in Psalm 63? I, my soul longs for thee, my flesh desires you like in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. I am hungry and I am thirsty for you as the deer pants of the rotter brooks. I am so thirsty for you. I need more of you. I want more of you. I'm going to walk into greater intimacy with you also with greater power in you. Lord, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at, praise God. And that's the attitude that he wants us all to have, one of hunger and thirst. Look at the next one, faith. And I love this woman, praise God. Matthew chapter 15, you know the story of the Syrophoenician woman, the woman, the Canaanite woman who came to Jesus. Disciples wanted to shoo her away, get her away. She's bothering us. Isn't that something, how prideful they were? She's bothering us. You're a bother. Let me tell you something right now. It doesn't matter what camp you come from, you're never a bother to God. You don't bother him at all. 
Of course, Jesus put it out there just to, just to see, get a feeling for where she was really at. And she wanted help. And what did she do? She came and worshipped him. She came to him. She surrendered to him. She bowed to him. You can see all these points I'm making here in this woman's actions. She came. She surrendered. She bowed. She worshipped. She humbled herself before him. She cried out to him. And she came to him, worshipped, and she said to him, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it's not me to take the children's bread, cast it to dogs. He's now obviously speaking the truth as far as uh, the, the Jewish law is concerned. And she said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. What an answer this woman gives to him. Well, I know you're telling the truth here. I know that I have no covenant right with you. I have no, no right, basically a family right, a covenant right, any kind of a right to come to you and ask you to do anything for me. But I'm coming to you. I don't want the children's bread. Just give me a crumb like a dog that licks up a crumb that falls from the table. That's all I need from you. Oh, woman, he says, great is your faith. Notice this. Be it unto thee, even as you will. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. How did she tap into and release the power of God that changed her daughter's life? Can you imagine what she had to go through with her daughter who was demon-possessed? Under the power of darkness, overcome by evil? Put yourself in that same situation. And there she was. It took faith. Faith that would stand up even when Jesus made a supposedly derogatory remark to her, but she went right through it, praise God. She wasn't bound. See, faith rises above our feelings and emotions. It rises up the way we think. It rises up above the law. It rises above feeling and emotion, all the way up above all that stuff, and just says, I believe. And you know what? She got exactly what she desired. There was an unleashing of the miracle-working power of God that brought victory into her daughter's life. So it takes faith to walk with God, doesn't it? We can't please him without walking by faith. Number six, actions. Actions. Number six, actions. Look at James chapter 2 and verse 20. But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead, being alone. You know, one of the things that Jesus did when he was here upon the earth, traveling from one place to another, he confessed the purpose for and the reason that the Holy Spirit's anointing was upon his life. You remember he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. For what purpose, Lord? Look at Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why, Lord? Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, to set a liberty to bruise, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, I know why I've been anointed. I know why I have the power of God in me. It's not exclusively for me just to help me. It is for me to be anointed from on high with Holy Ghost power to preach good news to people. And then do what? Demonstrate that power to heal the brokenhearted. Preach deliverance to the captives. Is there a brokenhearted person out there that you know that in your life, whether it's in your family, in the workplace or whatever? Don't minimize the very life and power of God on the inside of you. You have an equipping of the Spirit. You have an anointing of the Spirit. You have the power of God inside you to let people know, praise God, there is help for you. There is hope for you. There's power from on high. But you know what? You could be the conduit of that power. 
Let me pray for you, praise God. Let me take authority over this situation, especially if they don't know much about the things of God. God can use you in a powerful way to turn the situation around. Amen. So, actions. Number seven, it takes desire. If we really want this intimacy with God and to walk in this flow of his power, there has to be desire on our part. Do we desire it? Do we desire spiritual gifts and manifestations if we want them to be displayed? Look at 1 Corinthians 14. Here the Apostle Paul, once again, verse 1, talking about this desire we all should have. Follow after charity. You know, following charity is following God. It's shadowing God because God is love, right? And desire. This is an earnest, heartfelt desire for what? Spiritual gifts or spiritual manifestations, but rather that you may prophesy. So there has to be a longing for and a desire for God to rise up on the inside and manifest himself in spiritual gifts and manifestations. Do we desire that? I'll be honest with you. If you don't feed your spirit that, it'll be by the wayside. Think about it as a born-again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking Christian. How many times have you set aside praying in the Holy Ghost, not realizing you know, that really we're giving place to the flesh and we're really pushing down spiritual operations in our lives? The more we pray in the Spirit, the more we stay in the Spirit, the more we stir up the Holy Spirit, the gift of God on the inside of us, and the more of God's power we generate. Which is why the enemy just appeals to our flesh and says, you don't really want to be involved in doing that. There's no value to it. But I'll tell you what, it'll take it to another dimension. And he knows that, and he doesn't want that. We're talking about how we can really walk in close intimacy with God by using everything that we know we can use to have that closeness and be in a position where he can use us to minister life to people. Okay, look at the next one. The next one is association. And this one is, is extremely important as well. You know, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. Anybody here want to reinvent the wheel? There's no need to reinvent the wheel, right? And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that, we're not going to look at all the second chapter, second Kings. I probably should have told you that, Paul. <laughs> we're not going to look at that whole second chapter. But if you know the story, it's the story of Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah was a man mightily used of God who was anointed from on high, who did a certain amount of miracles when he lived upon this earth. Elisha was aware of his ministry. And Elisha really wanted what he had. As a matter of fact, he was so spiritually greedy, he wanted a double portion of what Elijah had, right? You talk about desire, a craving for the things of God, he wanted even more than what he had. And God used Elijah in a great and powerful and mighty way. Remember he called down fire from heaven and defeated the prophets of Baal, remember that? Sure. Okay, so he wanted it. How was he going to get it? By association. When he was a Gilgal, Elijah said, stay here. I got, God sent me to Bethel. And he said, ah, oh, sure as you live and sure as my soul lives, there's no possible way. Sure as God lives, I'm not leaving your side. I'm going with you to Bethel. In other words, I'm going to shadow you. I'm going to associate with you. I'm going to follow you. I want to see how God works in your life. So he leaves Gilgal, which is a type of salvation, to goes to Bethel, which is a, a place of visitation. And this place of visitation, of course, certain things happen. But then Elijah says, I'm leaving here because God sent me to Jericho. Jericho is a place of manifestation where the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Remember that? And so what does Elisha say? I'm not staying back here while you go over there. I'm going to shadow you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to associate with you. I'm going to watch and see closely how God is using you. Because you know what? I want 
didn't tell him he wanted what he had yet at this point, but he just said, I'm following you. I'm going with you. The next thing was, he said, stay here at Jericho, manifestation. Don't be satisfied with just certain manifestations. I'm going on beyond that. And where's the next stop? Jordan. And Jordan is a complete surrender of oneself, giving oneself over to God, going through the waters, the muddy waters of Jordan, like being baptized afresh and anew, that I'm, I'm crucifying my flesh. When he got to the other side, he said, look, look, Elisha, what do you want from me? He says, I want a double portion of what you have. That's what I wanted from you. He says, buddy, you've asked for a hard thing. And I'll tell you right now, the only way you're going to get it, if you see this, would you see me going up in a whirlwind? If you see me being translocated from earth to heaven, then you know you have it. If not, go about your business. See, we can't make God do what we want to do. We can only position ourselves to receive from him those things we desire. And what did this, do, this guy do? He, he associates with him to the very end. When he gets to the other side and Elijah goes up in a whirlwind, he sees it happen. His mantle falls to the ground after the parting of the River Jordan. It falls to the ground and Elisha picks up the mantle. And he takes that mantle and he smites the waters of Jordan. You see, he turns around and goes right back where he came from. But this time, with a double anointing of the Spirit from on high to go to minister as the prophet of God to the people of God. Complete surrender, complete giving of oneself, empowered from on high with a double anointing, and now he's ministering to people. Association. You see, how does that pertain to us? I believe that God is going to put us with other people that have gone before us. We don't reinvent the will. We see how God used them. We study their lives and their ministries. We listen to their CDs, maybe videos. You know, some people study under Wigglesworth. Some people study under Hagen or Copeland, or, and the list goes on and on. There's just so many that are out there. Wherever you're drawn, because I do believe this, God knows who's best for you. He put me under Kenneth Hagin's ministry when I first got saved. And then also a little bit of E.W. Kenyon, which is why we have our bookstore out there with a lot of those materials. I cannot tell you the value and the importance of what I learned from these individuals and what it's meant to me. I truly believe my daughter Lisa is alive because of what I've learned. Because of the equipping, because of the revelation, because of the anointing. When my daughter fell 10 feet and God only knows she could have died straight on her head and her eyes split open, she can't walk, she's bleeding, she was only three and a half years old. I didn't know what to do. Thought never crossed my mind to even call an ambulance. I look back and I think maybe I should have, but you know what? Maybe I shouldn't have. Because when I laid, I picked her up, that limp body of hers, and laid her on that living room floor, and I prayed in tongues as hard and as fast as I could. There's no time for, for me to sit with someone and have some kind of theological debate, but tongues aren't for today. Oh, really? My daughter lives because of tongues. I mean it. 
I laid my hands on her. I prayed in tongues as hard and fast as I could. Power of God came on me. I lifted up my head. The gift of special faith went in operation at that time. And I said, now you're healed by the stripes of Jesus. This was a guy that took his kid, his only child, to the doctors. If she got a little fever or a sniffle. And here she is lying in a pool of blood and can't walk. I say, let's go finish the Bible study. She's healed. You, th- you look at me and think like I'm a madman. You know what? If I look at, but back upon it in the natural, I would say I was crazy. But you know what? I knew it. And I never pass this on to somebody else and say, you need to do what I did. No, you don't. You need to do what God tells you to do, what God instructs you to do in your given situation. Years later, I had my brother come up to me and say, I don't know how you did that. My daughter got attacked by a dog, had a scratch on her head, and I couldn't take it. Didn't know what to do. And here your daughter's lying in a pool of blood and can't even walk. Long story short, she got supernaturally healed by the power of God. And and many other things happened since then. But what I'm saying to you is, by association with me, with Kenneth Hagin's teachings, and I'm telling you, there's too much for me to get into right now. But I was, you know, criticized because that's where I sat under. They they told me, you, you can't be the pastor of this church because of sitting under someone like him. And if we weren't autonomous, I wouldn't be. You realize that. If a denomination had their way to say what, who you can and who you can't have as your pastor, I wouldn't be here. But you know what? I found that all those people that criticized Kenneth Hagin never read his testimony, don't understand one thing about him. But what I learned from him, what I was taught from reading his books, association, saved my daughter's life, brought my two boys into this world, saved Andrew's life as well. What are you going to exchange for that? Anything? Think about it. So it's so important who we associate with. And when you know where you need to be, the more I feed on those materials, you know what? The more my faith just soars. The less I feed on material like that, oh yeah, we learn more and it's all up here, head knowledge, but it's not coming from here. And that's why it's so important to feed your spirit, not just your brain. Can you see that? So we associate and we draw from their anointing. There's an impartation that comes from that. Praise God. And then the next one, love. Go back to 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 1. For follow after what? Charity is agape. It's the word agape, divine love. Follow after love. You see, love is the foundation for it all. God is love. Everything flows from love. We should be love-led, love-guided, love-directed. It's all about love and compassion that God has for human hearts and lives and humanity. And you know, we want to flow with divine love. And so when we realize that, you realize that the enemy wants to stir up strife among people because he wants love not to have its way among people? Whether it's in an individual's life, in their marriage, in their home, in their family, with their children, or whatever, you know, he doesn't want love to be the prevailing force in their lives. Follow after love is a pattern. Shadow love and desire spiritual manifestations. They go hand in hand because you see the desire to help people comes from that outflow of, or inflow of love to the outflow of power into people's lives. So love. If you want to walk in God and walk with God, walk in love because without love, power becomes pride. People get caught up in pride and arrogance. Look how God uses me. You know, knowledge puffs up. But you know what? Love edifies. Love builds up. And the last one, and this is so key to all of us. Oh my goodness. No wonder there's so many voices that are out there in the world because the enemy doesn't want us to hear the voice of God. 
And what is it? It's called listening. The voice behind your ear that says, this is the way, walk ye in it. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you. You know, we need a travel guide through life. I mean, Siri tries to help us out a little bit, but she's been wrong a lot of times. She's met, led me in places that I didn't need to go to. I dare not even tell you this. I was on the whatever side of Pittsburgh, way out there somewhere, beyond Pittsburgh, attending a funeral service. And I took the turnpike to get there. But then once I got off to the back roads, and it was really back ro- way out there, back roads, you know, I'm, I got Siri. I'm listening to all the directions I'm following, exactly what she says to do. I get right to where I need to go. I'm so happy. I made it on time to the funeral service, right? So then all I want to do is get back to the turnpike. But I'm pretty far out there in the woods somewhere, no man's land. So I put it in, take me back to Beaver. I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm driving. I end up an hour and a half away from Beaver. And she says, you've arrived at your destination. (laughs) And I kept, for the longest time I told this to people, right here, right here in industry, Ohioville, I said, go to your Siri and just say, take me to Beaver. Take me to Beaver. It says, Beaver, one hour and so many minutes away. And they go, this can't be right. And I said, oh, I know it's not right. But you see, I was on these back roads, and I'm thinking, she could have bring me through Zelianople. I said, that's okay. This is a nice country ride. I'll take a nice little ride. I'm in this, what was it called? Edmonton. Edmonton is where I ended up. And it says, you're now in Beaver. And I'm sitting there, a broken down house on one side, woods on either side of me, and empty, and just, just farmland and all that. And I'm going, I don't think I'm in Beaver. See, we can't always trust Siri, can we? Since then, that's been corrected, and now she'll take you to Beaver. But we've got the Holy Ghost, and He's come to be our what? Guide. He wants to guide us and direct us. But listen, He also came to speak to us what He hears of the Father and show us things to come. We need a travel guide. We need a spokesperson. I know what your will is for this child to live, but he says, can't happen. And do you know what? God, there's reasons in some situation that God knows that we don't know everything. But if he says it's not going to happen, then it's not going to happen. No matter how I try to manipulate his power, it's not going to happen. So we need to stick close to whom the travel guide to listen to what he speaks to us, what he hears of the Father, to show us things to come. So this is the way, walk ye in it. And then we're cooperating with him, and when we cooperate with him, we can unleash his miracle power in a given situation. So in conclusion, look at these. Look at John 7. There cannot be an outflow if there's not an inflow. Do you agree with that? You can't put something out if you don't have it in you. In the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus cried, stood and cried and said, 
If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of, he, he that believes on me, as the scripture says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the spirit which they, which that they believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, Jesus said, are you thirsty? Then you've got to come to me and you've got to drink. And you know what? This isn't just one drink. This is a daily drink. Come to me and drink every day because you need it every day of your life. Spiritually, as you need it physically, you need it spiritually. And out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit. The Spirit wasn't yet given at that time. But since then, Holy, uh, the Pentecost came and the Holy Ghost came. And we can receive the Holy Spirit from on high. And we can be filled with the Holy Ghost. We can have this infilling of His Spirit. And there'll be an outflow. We can maintain the Spirit-filled life. But look at Ephesians chapter 5 and we'll close right here. We've got the spirit within and to maintain a spirit filled life, we have to follow the instructions and it's important that we see it as necessary. Like I said, God built within us an indicator to tell us that we are hungry. Your stomach growls when you're hungry for a reason. I can interpret it. Feed me, feed me, feed me. That's the interpretation of those growls that's on the inside of your belly. Feed me, feed me, feed me. And guess what? When you get thirsty, something in your mouth tells me, give me something to drink. Give me something to drink. I'm thirsty. Right? Built in. But you know, spiritually speaking, those things don't exist. We have to nurture that. Do you see that? It's not like, I'm talking, it's not a physical thing that you feel like hunger and thirst. We've got to on purpose do this. Verse 17. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be being filled with the Spirit in the Greek. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how he said to maintain a Spirit-filled life. Did you know God wants us drunk? In the Holy Ghost. Speaking to yourselves in Psalms. And this is the will of God. Why? The more we can get in the Spirit. The more in tune we are with the Spirit. The more we activate the ministry of the Spirit. This is His dispensation. He will lead us in line with the will of the Father. He will show us the way that we should go. He will guide us into all the truth. He will speak to us. This is what you need to do. This is how you need to walk. And He'll show us things to come. Praise God. So, following these steps, praise God, we can experience a spirit-filled life and we can experience a greater manifestation of the power of God in our lives. And you have to admit to me, and we can all admit this, sometimes we just don't know what to do. We know what the will of God is, but we just don't know what to do to cooperate with God to achieve what He wants done. So we need to do what? Humble ourselves and go to God and just say, I know this is your will. Or I know this isn't your will. Now, Father, what do I need to do to see to it that your will is done and the will of the enemy is stopped? Let's stand together before the Lord.